This is our last uh, Sunday uh, in the Gospel of Luke. We've been in this journey for about three and a half months. Right, it's been a pretty long uh, couple of months, but we are uh, ending our journey today. And we're going to be um, in Luke chapter 21. And the title of my message is called Sleepy Hearts. With the subtitle, I want to say, uh, This Day in Light of That Day. Can you do me a favor? Can you say, This Day in Light of That Day? I uh, wonder if you ever had... Uh, if you ever had a day that you were not prepared for and that you should have been prepared for, a day that you were not prepared for but you should have been prepared for. I had one of those days when I was a freshman at Nyack College in uh, downtown Manhattan. I had uh, some friends call me on a Sunday night and say, hey, Finn, you want to hang out? And so, you know, I, I said, you know, it seems like I have something tomorrow so what I did was I took inventory of my brain for like, and that just lasted like 10 seconds. And then, you know, I, I couldn't think of any reasons why I shouldn't go. So I said, yes, let's definitely go out. And so I did. And we stayed up really late, super late, came home late. The next day, I rolled into Monday morning to calculus at 8 a.m. Now, for those of you who, don't, who know me, I am not a morning person. And so why you take calculus at 8 a.m. for me, I don't know. Just not a good idea. Anyway, I roll into class to learn that the professor was giving a test, which I completely forgot about. <laughs> and so I did my best just to wing it that morning, and so I bombed it, okay? B-O-M-B-E-D, I bombed it. If I remember, I think I got a 52 on it, right? Not good. Oh, horrible. All that to say I did not live Sunday in light of Monday, and I should have, right? I should have. I wonder if you've been there before. There are these certain days in the future that requires preparation in this day, living this day in light of that day. Another example, I remember the day, I remember, you know, when I got married, the year that I got married. Every year, I mean every day, the year prior to that day was in preparation of that day. Like that's all I thought about. Right? I worked out more in that year than I ever worked out in my entire life. It's one of the only times in my life I had, uh, one of, what are those things called again? Um, abdomens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the only times I haven't seen it since, okay? So I lived every day prior to that day in light of that day day. And for all of us, there are days in the future that we need to live this day in light of. And for all of us, the, the one day in the future that we need to spend this day, uh, every day in light of, is the day when Jesus Christ comes back. Sure as anything else in this world Jesus Christ is coming back, y'all. He is coming back. And so the passage that we're going to be looking at today is, uh, talks about the return of Jesus. We're going to be looking at verse 34 uh, to 36 again. But really what this is, that we, what, what, we, what we've seen is the concluding remarks and warnings of Jesus it comes at the tail end of a larger section, which is 
uh, chapter 21, verses uh, 5 to uh, 35, wherein Jesus is talking about a lot of things. But primarily, he's talking about two things, right? And so let me give you in like 60 to 90 seconds here, just the gist of Luke 21. Here's what he says. There's a parable of the widow's might, and then ironically, immediately right after that, the disciples are in the temple, and the disciples are saying, hey, aren't these stones absolutely beautiful? And Jesus says to them, pretty soon, not one of these stones will remain stacked on another in this place. And he goes on to tell them, that the, tell the disciples that the temple will be destroyed. There is going to be uh, wars. There is going to be persecution. And the city of Jerusalem would ultimately be destroyed. It would be destroyed and, and, and it would be invaded and it would just be wiped out, right, along with this very temple. Now from history... We know that this exactly happened. Some 37 years later, just as Jesus prophesied, the destruction came. It came. What happened was the Roman army marched in and surrounded the city, led by the emperor Titus, right, the future emperor Titus at the time, and they sacked the city, they destroyed the temple, and we learned that uh, the, the bricks in this temple were inlaid with gold. And so the, what the Roman soldiers did was the Roman soldiers to, to get at the gold, literally they unstacked every stone in this temple, thus fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that there would not be one stone left on top of the other. And then we get to verse 25. And Jesus here seamlessly transitions into a later reality here, right? This is the, the, the classic form of prophecy that we see in the Bible, in the Old Testament and also in the, the New Testament. You see, oftentimes when we read the, this prophetic section of Scripture, it looks as though there is just this one event that is being prophesied about. But oftentimes they are different events, right, separated by space and time. And so I want you to think about it this way, right? So uh, I've heard that when you drive up to the Rocky Mountains, uh, when you're going east on 180, uh, when you see the mountain, it looks like all the peaks are in a row, right? That's what it looks like when you're driving up to it. Up to it. And then it's just a, a line of mountains until when you get closer, you see that you realize that they are separated by miles. I mean, dozens of miles, Right, maybe even 50, 80, 100 miles between those peaks. Well, that's the way prophecy works as well. And so Jesus is here describing right, a, a near peak, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And then what happens is in verse 25, he transitions. He transitions. It seems as it were that the destruction of the temple 
is but a foreshadowing of the greater consummate return of Jesus, the, the judgment of the living and the dead, and the final punishment, uh, the final punctuation mark on the earth of all that there is. And so he talks about a difficult, uh, he talks about a difficult time that is coming. There will be this consummate judgment of the world. And so, like, this is heavy stuff this morning. Right? This, is, this is like the beefy portion of Scripture that we are in. I mean, Luke 21, you can do an entire series on just Luke 21 in itself. But at the very end of it, what we see is Jesus concludes to his disciples with a warning about how to live in light of that day. In light of that day. And it's a conclusion that I want to really dive in this morning and look at the, the consummate ending of all things and how we today, well, how we are to live in light of that. And church, I just want to say there's a lot at stake for us in this passage. Very practically, there's a lot. Okay, this is not just like this weird um, eschatological, like, end-time sermon that we're going to learn some cool and fun facts this morning. No, like, I'm really praying that this morning God would shape our hearts in light of this passage uh, today, because here is what is at stake for us. I think it's really easy for those of us that are Christians in this room who, who, who can trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior we can trust him in his full pardoning for our sins and then live our whole lives as functional atheists. Not letting that day give any bearing to the way that we live this day. Living this day. And what I think, uh, I think Jesus is uh, pressing in this passage this morning is we need to learn to live this day and every day, uh, in light of that day, when we see Jesus Christ face to face. And so church, that's, I want us to be a church that is full of people that are here that is just heavenly minded. Right? That, that organize, build, and we structure our lives anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. That we would not be caught off guard by that, that we would not give our time, our talent, our resources, our attention to things that would not matter 100 years from now. And so I'm praying that Jesus would teach us kindly uh, through this word this morning how to live this day in light of that day. All right, so let's get into our verses, okay? The first lesson that Jesus is telling us in this passage, which is point number one, is to avoid a sleepy heart, right? Avoid a sleepy heart. The first way to live this day in light of that day is to avoid a sleepy heart. Verse 34, this is what it says. But watch yourself. That's the warning right there, right? Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. Can you say dissipation? And drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day 
come upon you suddenly like a trap. He says this. He says, watch out lest your heart be weighed down. Right, be weighed down. That word there for weighed down literally means depressed. Depressed. It is a depressed heart. It is a sleepy heart. It is a heart that is caught off guard. And so the first thing that Jesus gives us is he gives us a warning. Careful that you do not have a sleepy heart. And then very kindly, he's going to give us three ways that would drive our hearts to uh, numbness and sleepiness. Number one, don't let your hearts be weighed down, right, with dissipation, with dissipation. I would uh, summarize dissipation as wild living. Wild living. So I looked this up. I looked the word dissipation up, right? This is what I, this is what I find out what it, what it means. It is a wasteful consumption of or resources or the squandering of that which we've been given to enjoy. It also refers to an inordinate indulgence of physical pleasures. Right, I'm going to sum this up, and I'm going to say this is wild living. And we all know what that looks like, right? We all know what wild living looks like. This is, this is like the prodigal son in, from Luke chapter 15 who gets his inheritance early. He heads to the parlor. He, 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 he gets uh, uh, some tattoos, and he goes, goes to the boat, and he buys a shot for everyone. Right? It is wild living. And the, and the older we get, it just matures into, it's still while living, but it, it is an obsession, though, as we get older, with, with the next thing, the, the next toy, the, the next party, the next outfit, the next vacation, the next big thing. And as we get older, what it is, is it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? It's spending money that we don't have to buy things that we cannot afford, that we do not need, so that we may be step in step with the proverbial Joneses. While we're there, can I just say this? Um, I have met the proverbial Joneses, okay? I'm not talking about anybody in this church, so please do not think it's anybody here. But just in counseling people and people coming up to me for prayer outside of this church, Right, let me just tell you, I have met the proverbial Joneses, and let me say that they are miserable. They are miserable. They got the boat, they got the houses, they got the toys, right? And it is all to numb the emptiness that is inside of them. And so you have Mrs. Jones who's sneaking vodka into her Diet Coke at the reception office. And then you got Mr. Jones who is addicted to internet poker on his cell phone. And, and, and you know what the Joneses need? The Joneses, they don't need our admiration. What the Joneses need is they need a hug. Right, they need a casserole. Can somebody just bring them a casserole? Like, would you, after church today, this afternoon, would you just pass by their giant yacht, their 17 garage, car garage, and say, can I just give you a hug? Like, can, can I just encourage you, Mr. Jones? Miss Jones? Right, do you see it? Right? Do not 
keep up with the Joneses. It is called dissipation. It is called dissipation. The legendary and the great C.S. Lewis in his screw tape letters. Uh, it's such a, an amazing book. You need to check that out if you haven't read that book. Basically, in that book, what it is about is you, you got this mentor demon who, uh, and you got these who's coaching his younger demons uh, how to demonize the people of God and to get them off point. And so one of the strategies of the, the sensei teacher demon is that he gives the younger demons, he teaches them this. This is what he says. He says to them, Get the people of God to enjoy the pleasures that God has given them, but at the wrong quantity and at the wrong time. And that is dissipation. Life's pleasures, overindulgence at the wrong time. And so let me ask us this morning, are you giving yourself to dissipation? Right? To wild living to worldly pleasures in excess. Jesus says, pay attention lest your hearts become sleepy. When your whole life is about wild living and keeping up with the Joneses, you are not mentally, spiritually, emotionally um, anticipating and preparing for the return of Jesus. It, it, it's not living this day in light of that day. So the first one is, asleep. the first thing way to, that leads to the sleepy heart is wild living. The second way to get to a sleepy heart is drunk living. Oh man, is he really going there this morning? Yup, <laughs> I'm going there today. Drunk living. Well, what does the Bible mean by being drunk? Right? No, the, the Bible means drunk. Like drunk means drunk. Right? What Jesus is saying don't get drunk, don't be drunk, don't live drunk. Don't give yourself to drunkenness. And so some of us are thinking today, well, you know, well, how drunk is drunk, though? <laughs> right? Like, if you're asking that question, odds are you're probably getting drunk. <laughs> like, if one or two to you means one or two six-pack, you're, you're drunk. Okay? <laughs> Jesus says, don't be drunk drunk. Now to be clear, uh, the Bible never absolutely prohibits the consumption of alcohol for God's people. In fact, if the disciples didn't drink, then why did Jesus not tell them to be drunk, right? And so you wouldn't think, you know, that this would be an issue if they didn't drink alcohol. The Bible gives a, the Bible does give freedom here. Now, let me just say this. For a lot of Christians, uh, if we choose to abstain from completely drinking alcohol, listen, it is a matter of conscience. It is a matter of wisdom. It is a problem in your family. It is just, you know, or genetic uh, predisposition. Like, that's great. Like, honor God with your conscience. And, and, you know, it is absolutely terrific. Like, we celebrate that. We honor that. Like, we affirm that here. That is great. But if you choose not to abstain, we need to be very, very, very careful not to mistake gospel freedom for alcohol consumption 
with a gospel liberation into drunkenness, which it does not afford us. It doesn't afford us. I was listening to uh, Pastor Alistair um, Beck, and this is what he said. I love what he said here. He says, we have to be very, very careful that when we reject a bondage that Scripture does not embrace, that we do not then have a freedom that Scripture does not afford us, being drunk, drunkenness. Here's what happens, okay? Like the, the pendulum, the pendulum really never swings from one side back into the middle. It doesn't, right? It doesn't do that. Like, so you got, what you have is you got a whole generation of Bible-believing, evangelical, wonderful Christians from like a generation ago who just says, listen, we are not touching that stuff. We're not going to touch it. And the side effect of that, though, can be a legalistic bent on it. Right, which says, man, if you don't drink, you are a good Christian. You're an amazing Christian. But if you do drink, you're a bad Christian at best, and you are not a Christian at all at worst. And so it is this legalistic layering of self-righteousness that comes on. And the generation before my eyes that I'm seeing today, like the generation that I'm seeing, takes that pendulum, and we don't swing it back usually to a God-centered view of alcohol, right? Where does that swing? They say, oh, the gospel says we can get drunk, right? Like, the Lord made wine, y'all. Come on. It's all good. And so we have to be very, very, very very careful here. And so I just want to just speak very candidly here this morning because I think this is in our church. I think this is in homes, and this is very important to talk about. And we don't, you know, like, I don't want to be this, this legalistic, like, weird church here, but listen, we need to preach the Bible, right? And, and, the, and, and it says, the Bible says, do not give yourself to drunkenness. Don't do it. Do not do it. One of my Christian friends, one of my friends uh, is a leader in the church, and he says this, I am a Christian hedonist. That's who I am. Which means I am after my greatest joy. The difference is that I have found my greatest joy in Jesus Christ, right? Not in other sinful patterns. Jesus is not calling you out of fun. Okay, Jesus is calling you into a greater joy. And, and drunkenness in particular, listen, it has all the promises of a, a, a looser social life and just more sincere friendships. It has all of that. But the double edge of that is that it could actually damage, fracture, and destroy the very relationship and the winsome character that you are trying to build. And so church, can I call us out of that? If you are getting drunk, repent. Do not get drunk. Drunkenness cannot glorify God. But I also want to point out in this, in this passage this morning, the, the thrust of Jesus' message is not just the moral, well, you know, don't drink because it's a sin. Though, yeah, I mean, drunkenness is a sin. What he's saying is it creates in you a sleepy heart. It creates a sleepy heart in you. When you are filling your life with alcohol, 
Uh, when you are perpetually drunk, your heart is in a sleepy state. You are not eagerly anticipating the, the coming of Jesus Christ. Odds are, if you are consistently drunk, you're not consumed with the things of God, building your life that's going to just count for something on that day. Right? You are numbing something, right? and, 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 your, and which makes your conscience and your will and your life numb to the things of God. So while living is not living in anticipation of that day to come, drunk living is not living this day in light of that day. And he gives a third one. The third and final one is not living this day in light of that day. And the third one is this. I would summarize it as anxious living. Anxious living. It says in verse 34, if, if not ourselves to the cares of this life. And so I would call that anxious living. So let's, let's, let's talk about anxiety, guys. Let's talk about anxiety for a moment here. Because some, some of us are thinking, you know what? Well, Finn, I don't, I, I don't do wild living. And I don't do drunkenness. So I'm off the hook this morning. Hold on. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Just give me a couple of seconds here, okay? We want to leave, you know, you're thinking like, let's not just leave all the rebels to, just to enjoy themselves today. Like we want to we wanna talk about anxious living here for a moment. And so I want to ask you this moment, I wonder if you are an anxious person. Let's do a little test. I'm going to give you a little test this morning, okay? Just to kind of like self-diagnose our hearts. Test number one, question number one that I want to ask you. Are you, uh, are you going to have enough money to retire? Or do you know how much money you need to retire? Right? Do you have a plan to get there? Odds are, if you don't have a plan, odds are you're behind right now. Let me ask you another question. If your parents are, still, are, are alive, are, are, how are you going to take care of your aging parents? It's expensive. Anyone anxious yet? Any anxiety here? Let me ask you another question. How are you going to get your kids through college without accumulating this insurmountable amount of personal debt that is going to cripple you for the rest of your life? Do you have a college savings account? Start saving one. Start having one if you don't, right? Anyone anxious? Did you know that ISIS is gaining ground even in our country today? Anxious yet anyone? Blood pressure going up? Did you know that health insurance is going to go higher? Like it's going higher. Are you prepared for that? Do you floss your teeth daily? When is the last time that you floss your teeth? How's your teeth? Is your car due for an, for an oil change? When is the last time that you changed your <laughs> furnace filter? Do you know that that is a fire hazard? Did you ever let these thoughts like consume your mind? Here's what we do. What we do is this. We, we, we take the worst possible scenarios and what we do is we create this fictional reality in our minds, and then we freak out about the fiction, right? Like, my kids can't go to college. ISIS is going to take me captive. I'm going to be off guard and out of money. I'm going to have cavities everywhere. Like, this is going to be my 2020 reality, and it keeps me from sleeping 
And then, you know, we just dwell in this fictional reality. And, and this is what the Bible calls right, anxiety. Anxiety. If you let them consume you, your gaze becomes 100% of the things of this world and not of God. So check this out. Here's the insidious thing about anxiety. This is the insidious thing, the insidious nature about anxiety. Anxiety lived out in a person's life is often seen as a responsible person. Well, I'm just type A, okay? Well, I'm sorry that you're lazy, but I have plans, okay? And so, you know, I have to think about these things. And so what happens in a human heart is this desire for security apart from God. And that is a dangerous thing about anxiety, about anxious living, is that unlike wild living, unlike drunken living, anxious living is socially acceptable amongst Christians. Socially acceptable. Everyone is talking about how Sally gets a little sloppy on the weekends but no one is talking about how Susie is a worry wart. <laughs> the problem is Jesus says both, both lead to a sleepy heart. Whether you are uh, wild, whether you are living wild, wild, whether you are living drunk, or you are living in perpetual anxiety, you are not anticipating the second coming of Jesus and structuring your life as though that is coming. And Jesus says, man, wake up. Wake up. Do not let your heart become depressed. Why? Here's what he says in verse 34 and 35. He says this, that that day would come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the earth. And so what Jesus is saying is that his return or, or your death, whatever comes first, right, if you're giving yourself to wild living or drunk living or anxious living, it's going to catch up to you like a trap. Like a trap. You're going to be left saying, oh, wow, you're back? Really? Oh, snap. Like, I mean, everything that I'm doing right now doesn't really amount to much. Man, if I knew that you were coming, I would have done everything so differently, Jesus. Everything that I had given myself to seems so significant at the time, and it seems so small right now. Don't let it hit you like a trap. So let me ask you, do you have a sleepy heart? If your heart is numb to the things of God, are you filling yourself with wild living, with drunk living, with anxious living? Listen to the word of God, verse 34. and It says, watch yourself, right? Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. That on that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. So Jesus starts with this, like, this, the negative side to it, right? What are we not to do? Well, we are not to live wild. We are not to be wild. We are not to be drunk. We are not to be anxious all the time. 
Well, then what are we to do then? How do we start to live this day in light of that day? And so my second point I would say is this. Keep an alert heart. Keep an alert heart. Verse 36 says this. uh, But stay awake. When? At all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of God. Let me summarize how I think Jesus tells us to have an alert heart. Number one, he says, stay awake. Stay awake at all times. Spiritually speaking, stay awake. Let me give you an illustration. Um, So one of my first jobs after I got my license, I think it was my first job after I got my license actually, was I was a valet parker, right? And so me and a couple of John and Tom, I don't know if you guys remember these days, so we were valet parkers here in Nassau County, uh, and so we would go everywhere, I mean, North Nassau County, South, like every weekend, and, and so uh, I remember the first time, like, uh, I, I had this journey, we, we went to Long Beach, and we were working at, the, at a golf club, and uh, and, you know, with valet parking, sometimes you would get out late. And specifically, this job, I would get out at 4 a.m. I'm working to 4 a.m. I'm going to school. You know, I'm, I'm, and you're a teenager. You're not sleeping at all, okay? So I'm staying up. and I'm not sleeping. No sleep at all. Working to late 4 a.m. in the morning. I mean, my sleeping pattern was just absolutely horrible. And so, you know, and so I'm driving home. And I'm doing okay for like 10 minutes driving home. And then all of a sudden... Driving home, my eyes start to kind of spray, right? And all of a sudden, like, it's late night, 4.30 in the morning, the distance in my eyelid have to, that has to travel between a wink and a sleep just kind of s- slips. And so I'm getting more and more sleepy. I am so sleepy. And then I'm taking those, like, really long blinks, right? Long blinks. And then my eyelids start to kind of, like, stick together. And so I'm like trying to stay awake. And maybe you've been there before, right? And I realized, oh man, like I'm in a really dangerous situation right now. I'm about to go to sleep in this car, right? And I'm trying my best to stay awake. And so what do I do? So my first attempt to stay awake is I, I, I blast the radio, okay? So I got my, uh, my TLC CD and I, I put it in my CD player, right? I'm just like, I'm blasting that thing, and I'm going, don't go chasing waterfalls. Don't let the river and the lake, da, 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 da. And I'm, like, trying to blast that thing, like, stay awake, stay awake, right? And then after that, like, it's not working. And so what do I do? Second thing is I blast the AC. And so now here I am. I'm, 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 still, I'm freezing, but and I'm still sleeping, right? And so like, my eyelids are still blinking. And so I go to my last resort. What is my last resort? What I do is I roll down the window, okay, rolling down the window, guys, okay? Back in the day, rolling down the windows, and I pull my head outside, out of the car while I'm driving, right? And I listen, I'm trying to stay alive, okay? I'm doing whatever it takes. If, 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 if you ever get sleepy, just put your head out the window. You might get bugs in your face, but it's all good. You will stay alive, okay? Do whatever it takes. That's what you do in a situation like that, right? And I think... That is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, not only don't let your heart get sleepy, but do whatever it takes. 
right? Stay alive to God. Stay awake. Stay alert. And I think the heart of what it means to stay awake all the time is to let the reality and the person of God stay paramount and central in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, in your lives, is to keep God there, is to stay awake to the things of God. Can I tell you a little secret? Did you know, did you know that you can stop going to church on Sundays? You can stop reading your Bibles. You can just stop going to life groups. Do all of those things and God will still love you. Did you know that? Like if your faith is in Jesus, like God, he loves you. Uh, some churches though, they don't really want to say that. Like they put their budget based on guilt. Like you better be here, okay? Every Sunday, like you better, you better be here. Like if you're not here, God is going to erase your name from the Lamb's Book of Life. Like, and the thing is, it doesn't work like that, right? It doesn't work like that. Like you don't have to be here to be or go to church to be a Christian, right? We're Christians because Jesus saved us, not because of our church attendance, right? But, can I say this though? But, did you also know that that is the fastest way to fall asleep to the things of God? The fastest way. Man, like, to quit meeting with the people of God to quit getting in your car and driving and sitting in a circle of other people who love God, to actually care what's going on in their lives, to open up your Bible and to like, yeah, just figure out what it says, right? To, to, to quit reading your Bible, to quit listening to the Spirit of God, to quit caring for the mission of God is the quickest way to fall asleep quickest way. Uh, when we planted this church a couple of years ago, we were intentional, and we said, listen, we do not want to have 10,000 programs here. Like, people are involved in different things all throughout the week, right? But we want to have white awake Christians. We want Christians who don't just see Christian life as this you know, mundane, like, monetary of church sermons and blah, blah, blah. It's all that stuff, like, but whose hearts are just uh, asleep to the things of God. The reason we want people to gather here on Sundays and to life groups and other gatherings is not to make us busy, but it is to wake us up. It is to wake us up. And here's what happens, right? Life's pressures, life's rhythms, Life's stresses serve as this white noise that will move our hearts to sleep if we let it. And so Jesus has an imperative for us, right? Which means that he has, Jesus has something for us to do. And you know what that is? It is to stay awake at all times. Do whatever it takes. Stick your head out the window, Stay awake toward the things of God, lest your hearts become sleepy and miss the point of his second coming. Right, stay awake. 
And church, that's what I dream, that, that we would be a church that is not busy. We are not hyper-religious, but we are, just, uh, we are just sincerely awake to the things of God, listening to his voice, and we are just dialed in. So number one is this. Number one is stay awake to, at all times. Number two is um, how do we do that? We are to do that, he says, to stay prayerful. Number one, stay awake. Number two, stay prayerful. Let's look at verse 36. It's, he says this, but stay awake at all times praying. Can you, can you say praying? See, the best way to stay aware of God, the best way to stay dialed into to God is to talk to God. It's to talk to God. And, and prayer is this continual, perpetual conversation between the Christian and God. And that is called prayer. And prayerful living is the opposite of wild living. It is the opposite of drunk living. It is the opposite of anxious living. Rather than living wildly, prayerful living is living in communion with God, listening to his voice, getting pleasure from knowing him, not the pleasures of this world. Prayerful living is the opposite of drunk living. Right? Rather than being filled with the effects of alcohol, we're filled with the Spirit of God. And He is the most primary and prominent thing that shapes our personality and our decision-making and the trajectory of our lives. Prayerful living is the opposite of anxious living as well. Because instead of filling ourselves, of just weighing ourselves down with the cares of this world, we give them to Jesus. Give them to Jesus. In Philippians, it says this, be anxious about no thing, right? Nothing, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to the Lord, and the peace of God will be upon you. So let me ask you, do you worry or do you pray? Do you worry or do you pray? Do you escape life's pleasures through entertainment or alcohol, or do you pray? Right, this is the way that we stay awake. We pray. We keep that conversation going with God, right, consistently. Now, more specifically, I don't think Jesus is just, you know, talking about prayer in general. Look what he says in verse 36. This is what he says. But stay awake at all times. Right? Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is not only, you know, talking about a disciplined prayer life, but a specific prayer. And I think he has two things in mind here. Number one, I think he has in mind his, his immediate context here, and that is his disciples who just a few verses before said, you know, a great calamity is going to come on the earth and there will be uh, wars, this temple is going to come down and you will face this great persecution. So pray for strength for that day. And we know in history that uh, they did and that God did give them the strength to overcome. Right? We know that that did happen. All the disciples, except for one, died a martyr's death as a witness for Jesus Christ. 
which, I, you know, which, by the way, I, I think is one of the greatest like, apologetics for this book and for the Christian faith that we as Christians that we hold on to, that these men knew for a fact, for a fact, whether that Jesus rose from the dead, even to the, even to the point of being tortured, right, oftentimes being beheaded, right, and just upside down crucifixion. I mean, horrific deaths that these men had, refusing, though, to recant their faith in Jesus Christ and the reality that Jesus rose from the grave. And so we know that the Lord gave them strength to answer the prayer. Right? We know that he gave them that strength in that hour. But I think there's a second you know, audience that Jesus is talking to here as well. And that is a farther mountain peak, and that is you and I. It's you and I, talking about the day that is to come. He says this, he says, in those days, right, preceding his second coming, there is going to be a great stress in the earth. Earlier in the chapter, he says that the people will be fainting with fear and foreboding. And the application for us is, is to pray for strength, right? As the days of the earth, to, to be a Christian in this culture, listen, that we may overcome we may overcome that even through the persecution that may come, that even, though, even through that, whether we may face travesty, we may face trials, we may face tribulation, that Jesus would give us strength to walk with God, to overcome that. And so, what do we do? So we pray. We pray. Furthermore, in verse 36, he says this. He says this in verse 36, that we may have strength to stand before the Son of Man. Before the Son of Man. That phrase right there, the Son of Man, is a classic Old Testament phrase. More specifically, it was in Daniel chapter 6. And the phrase, the Son of Man, refers to Jesus' uh, second, uh, final, consummate coming and judgment on this earth. And he says, pray that you have strength to stand on that last day. And Jesus is saying, when I come back, when I come back. And so I want to ask us, are we ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? Verse 33, Jesus says this, The heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. Which is to say that the ground that you are sitting on right now, the air that you are breathing are less sure and concrete than the second return of Jesus Christ. It is a sure thing that Jesus Christ is coming back and the witness of it that the Bible says is that he is coming back as two things. Two things. He is coming back first as Savior and he is coming back second as Judge. Savior and Judge. And whether or not he is going to come back to save us or to judge us, it is based on one fact. And the fact is, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Right? That is the only way to be prepared to stand face to face with the Son of God. There's another verse later on in the New Testament in 1 Peter. Uh, it also is talking about the last day. And this is what it says. It says, through faith we are shielded by God's power for that day. It says, faith in Jesus is the shield. 
It's the faith in Jesus that is the shield that we have on that last day. And here's how that works. Jesus is coming back as judge for all of mankind, and we will stand before uh, the throne, and there will be a judgment. And so here's the back end of the story of why Jesus is, you know, his coming, why it's so important. He comes to the earth, right? He comes to the earth. He commits no sin, yet on the cross he faced not only Roman execution, but the full penal wrath of God toward sins. Why? Why did he do that? Like, if he had no sins, why does he face the wrath of God for sins? He did it as a substitute, right? For who? Who did he do it for? For anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus, right? For you and I, if you place your faith in Jesus, that transaction takes place. That your guilt is taken away. It is dealt with by Jesus on the cross. His perfect righteousness is imputed to you. It is given to you so that on that last day when you face Jesus, you, when you are before the Son of Man, he would look at you and he would say, there are, there are no sins on you. Right? There's no reason to declare that you are guilty that you are justified, that you are redeemed. Come into my kingdom, well done, good and faithful servants. Faith in Jesus Christ is the shield for that day. And so my question for us is, have you placed your faith in Jesus? He is our only hope, sure hope for that day. If you haven't done that, would you cry out to Jesus and would you say today, I am a sinner I need a substitute. I need a shield. I have fallen short. Would you save me? Would you come into my life? And Jesus, he would gladly, he would gladly, gladly do that. Now, I want to apply this to also the Christians that are in this room who have already placed your faith in Jesus, right? Because I think there's this great, great application for us. And that's simply this. It's this. It's church. Let's be a church that is fully awake. Let's be fully awake. Like, I don't want us to be a busy church. I don't want us to be this, oh, there's another sermon church. Like, I want us to be a church that is listening to, 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 to sermons and, and just being in the room. But we are dialed into God. We are dialed into his word. We are listening to his spirit. We are engaged in his mission and on that last day that you and I that we would not be caught off guard and so church I want us to be the church that is living this day and tomorrow and every day in light of that day let let me end with this story Uh, it's a story of a preacher in the 1700s the, the great John Wesley and uh, he, you know, John Wesley sparked this evangelical movement that continues on till today. And John Wesley was one day, he was preaching on a Sunday morning, and he was between sermons. He would, he would preach a lot <laughs> between sermons. And so he's in the back of the room getting ready to go up to preach. And there was a young boy that comes up to Pastor John. And he says to John, he goes, uh, Pastor John, how would you spend tomorrow if you knew that in the, in the evening Jesus was coming back? The very poised and confident Pastor John, uh, he uh, took out his daily planner that he had with him, 
and he opened it up, and very, pra- very patiently, he just, he just read to the young men every appointment that he had the next day. When she closed the planner, and then he put it back in his pocket, and he said to the boy, that is how I would spend my day if I knew in the evening Jesus was coming back. Could we say the same thing? Would you look at your calendar and say the same thing? Because guess what? Jesus Christ is coming back. And so would we live this day, that day, every day in light of the day? They invite the worship team to come up. I would like to, I, I want to ask you to close your eyes and to bow your head with me as we close in a word of prayer. Jesus, we are just, man, we are just so prone, Lord, to have sleepy hearts. This, the world is busy, the world is stressful, and we have schedules and responsibilities and things on our calendar. But God, my greatest fear is that we would just get so caught up with that. And we would think, man, that's the main thing. And we would absolutely miss the point. God, I pray that we as a church, no matter what is our vocation, no matter what meets us tomorrow, no matter the first meeting that is on our daily planner for tomorrow, that we would truly live that day in light of the consummate day. That we, that as we evaluate, Lord, our time, we evaluate our talent, we evaluate our treasures, money, attention, the way we spend our time, what we put in our body, what we do with our body, that everything would be done in an act of worship and anticipation of the second return of Jesus. Lord, we know you are just so much better, God. You're so much better. We know that you don't call us out of fun, but Lord, you call us into a greater joy. And the greatest party, God, is not one of drunkenness on this earth, but on the last day, there's going to be an amazing wedding feast, God. Lord God, would we be that bride who is preparing herself for that moment? that we would look at you as our greatest joy, you as our greatest treasure. So Lord, may that be among us as we pray this in Jesus' name.